Welcome to Dream Business Radio, the place to create your dream business now. Get ready for some inspiration, some encouragement, some proven business building strategies, and a couple of new ideas that you haven't even thought of. It's time to leave slow and steady as she goes to the other entrepreneurs, because this program is all about speed and fast results. And now, broadcasting from his floating home somewhere in the Atlantic Ocean, the dream business coach himself, Jim Palmer. Well, good afternoon, everybody. This is Captain Jim Palmer, the dream business coach, coming to you from Chesapeake City, Maryland, the very top of the Chesapeake Bay. If you're familiar with the area, it's right up by the C&D Canal. Stephanie and I are here for the summer. Uh, I have another great guest today, as always. I was just telling him this almost at my ninth year of, of this podcast, which is astounding to me. Anyway, let me tell you about my guest, Brian Johnson. He's the founder and owner of Maine and Johnson. It's a Charlotte, North Carolina-based business consulting and coaching company, Amy aimed at seeing small to medium-sized businesses thrive, not just survive. Um, and I'll tell you what, if Brian had that tagline pre-pandemic, how, how, how uh, apropos it is now for people who are just surviving. But he is a persuasive and adaptable top performer who is skilled in establishing, managing, and mentoring key executives and business owners, as well as individual contributors in a business. He has a passion for changing the cultural fabric of people, leadership, marketing, and sales in companies by empowering teams to exceed goals. What a what a good interview. A good interview. Well, well, that'll be determined. What a great introduction. How you doing, Brian? I'm doing well. How are you doing, Jim? Good. So people have been listening to me a while. They'll probably go, all right, this is Jim's fourth interview today. We'll cut him some slides. <laughs> That's fantastic. <laughs> I know. So um, North Carolina, actually one of our favorite states. Of course, Charlotte is on the kind of the western side. So there's no four feet of water. We can't get our boat in there. But we travel up and down the coast all the time and, and love your state. Are, are you a native of North Carolina? No, I'm, I'm not. I, I, I like to say I chose to be here. So um, I've been in uh, Charlotte in, in North Carolina in total for five years. Uh, like many of the folks that I run into down here, I uh, prescribe to the uh, relocation and transplant uh, model where I, I came from Toledo, Ohio. So uh, a, a little bit further southeast and a little bit warmer. We, we don't get 90s up there until you know July and, and, and even into August. So yeah, one, one of the things I say to people you know, because we've we've actually just passed four years living on the bonus that I've shoveled my last driveway. I know you don't get a lot of snow in Charlotte, but it probably if you get a little bit, it's far less than you, you were getting in Toledo, I'm sure. Yeah, absolutely. I, I And we don't even consider that snow. We just kind of consider it flakes of clouds, you know, down here now <laughs> at this point, because, yeah, you're right. It's not not shovelable, but it still can get icy and, and dangerous. So you got to yeah. take it easy. But yeah, it's a different reaction. So, so real quick before we we make the whole half hour about the weather, my brother lives in <laughs> Indianapolis, and we used to go snowmobiling in what's called the Upper Peninsula, the UP of Michigan. Mm -hmm. And up there, they measure snow. They measure snow in feet, not inches. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's crazy. Oh my gosh! So you and I are very uh, very similar as far as coaching and and helping small businesses grow. How how did you get into this field? Yeah, so I, I like I mentioned, I got relocated down to Charlotte, working um, kind of in the Fortune 500 space, and then um, as got more acclimated to here and and really kind of liked this area. Uh, one of the things that you know, as we were kind of looking at what's the future hold, it was you know, how do you just kind of maybe shake out of that that mode a little bit? Uh, that that's it's great for those that are in it, and I, I I loved every minute that I was there. 
but you know, just being able to kind of connect with people that are around you and help build these communities. I mean, if anybody knows anything about Charlotte, if they've been here the last few years, is it's constantly growing. So there's more businesses popping up. Um, there's also businesses shutting their doors too. So uh, just really, how can I take you know what am I doing, uh, what what my skill set is, and and what my passion is, and get them all kind of combined into you know helping some small businesses here. Uh, really try to uh, get where they're going and, and get there quicker um, and, and be successful. And, and then, you know, utilize some of the, the you know, higher level strategy things uh, to some of the medium-sized businesses as well. So they don't want to overlook them, but, uh, you know, that's that's kind of how I got started uh, a little over three years ago. So uh, it's been a, a lot of fun and, and getting to meet a lot of great business owners and nothing's better than a success story. So I always love to help be that's a part true. of this. And um Although looking back, most entrepreneurs would not say their first couple of years were fun, but necessary to, to plow through. How did you become an entrepreneur in the first place? Did you did you do the whole corporate route and want to just get out on your own or? Yeah, I mean, it was a little bit like that. I, I think, you know, growing up, um, my father owned a few restaurants and, you know, I, this was about the time I was getting into college. And, you know, he, he, he ran them for somebody else. And then it came to a point where he had to make the decision to either buy a few or look for another job and he bought. Um, and he's, he's a great, great owner, great manager, but that ownership piece just uh, chewed him up. And uh, you know, the, the, the going from the difference of being really good at what you do to now having to manage people and insurance and taxes and all the other stuff you didn't have to worry about. Uh, it really kind of soured him a little bit. And in fact, it soured me probably more than him where I was like, yep, I'm getting as far away from this as possible. Um, so I went the corporate for, fortune 500 route um, but really deep down, I, I always kind of really liked creating and, and doing my own thing and, and stuff like that. And you get some freedoms in the, you know, the Fortune 500 area, but really it just kind of came time that I, I've got to stop pretending like I don't want to do this and jump into it. Yeah. So, so you did have sort of a role model about um, w with your dad. Was were any other entrepreneurs in your family? Um, you know, I had a lot of folks that kind of went into the corporate world, um, you know, working for like the Grant Thorntons and, and some of the bigger companies. So that was probably where most of the role modeling came and the influence came. It, it was it was my dad that always kind of seemed to be the one that was like, nah, I just would rather do it this way, <laughs> you know, and I, I'm not saying it turned out that he was always right, but it, it did kind of show that, you know, hey, I can I could do this as well. So um, I was looking over your your information. You have something called the airline analogy, which is uh, you say it's very apropos for business. Well, let's talk about that. Yeah, and so like we we use this a lot with uh, with the business coaching side, and and you probably know this as well in your audience that you know you work with different businesses. They don't all see and hear the same words exactly the same. You know they have a different view of it, and so we try to use things that that simple simplify what we're trying to do and where you're at while we're trying to you know kind of find that fit, but. The airline industry, the, the you know, analogy that we use is, you know, we, we kind of look at businesses and we drop them into four buckets. And you're either in, in these phases that follow sort of a flight. And, that, you know, it's, it's crazy. I've asked so many people, you, know, you at least have been on a flight, right? And, and they'll look at me and say, no, I have not. And it's like, oh, boy, okay. You've really? seen a plane before, right? You know, <laughs> um, and, and they, they kind of laugh, but they understand it. And, and we look at kind of the, the first phase in a, you know, any business is kind of your startup phase. And that's a lot like the takeoff portion of, of being on a plane, you know, right? Seat back in the upright and locked positions, tray table stowed, you know, bags underneath the seat in front of you, overhead compartment closed. You know, it's a, it's a checklist of all the things that you need in order to get cleared for takeoff. 
And it's similar to startups. We say, you know, do you have your business plan written? Uh, do you have the right funding? Do you know where that's coming from? Have you at least set out to, to build out that vision, you know, for the business heading down the road, um, getting all the things that get you pointed in the right direction and give you the best chance to, to become commercially viable up front. Um, it's no different on a flight. I mean, if you had people getting up and running around on the plane uh, when they're taxiing out to the runway, they're going to get pushed back to, uh, you know, the gates. They're not going to get allowed to take off. So um, it's kind of, we talk to businesses, like when you're in that mode, get the right things done. So you get the the ability to to take off. That second phase on a flight is kind of when you're rocketing uh, up from zero to 30,000 feet uh, on a plane. And, and you know, full well from traveling that uh, that doesn't take long to get to that height because you're right. totally focused on on that trajectory. Um, and again, in that situation, you don't get up and use the restroom, you know, even the flight attendants, everybody's buckled in and it's a matter of, you know, everybody focused on one thing and that's, you know, doing what you need to do to get to that altitude. Um, similarly in a business, this is a little bit more like that early survival mode where, Hey, there's a lot of things I want to do, but there's only a few that really matter. And that's how do I get my business to that 30,000 foot level? Or <clears throat> another way to say it would be that revenue level that inherently allows me to sleep at night, knowing I'm going to wake up the next morning and be able to pay my bills and, and, and pay my team or whatever that combination for yourself. is for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I mean, you just kind of get to that point where it's like, you can exhale a little bit and say, okay, we, we made it. We got through the clouds. We're, we're where we want to be. Now we've got to start planning our way forward. Yeah. Um, I run into a lot of business owners in that mode. And, and there's some of the ones that are probably a little bit personally more like me, where I like to think five, 10 years down the road. And, and it's uh, not against anybody having great vision, but man, it really becomes a focused effort in that, that phase of your business. Um, so you got takeoff, you got ascension, what's next? Then we've got uh, uh, cruising altitude. And okay. so that's, that's kind of that point on the plane where all the loyalty awards come in, the drink cart comes out, you know, the, the, the snacks, the pilot will say something witty on the speaker. People can get up and move around, get back to their bags. It's, it's certainly more of a relaxed area, but it's also a majority of the time you're on this flight. And, and in that mode, it's more like, you know, for a business, this is where we start looking at efficiency and effectiveness. Like, okay, you've got, you've got to the point where you got the revenue. How can you make, make more out of, out of less, you know, how can your systems help you? Um, do you have the right, you, are you taking care of your employees? Are you taking care of your customers? You can put those programs in and really make that journey the one you set out to have in the first place in that business. And yeah, you have to adjust for turbulence in your business, just like you do on a plane, but you're not, you're not trying to, to scale another 30,000 feet to survive. If you do that, that's, that's maybe more where your business is, is headed because you're putting the right things in place. I'm curious your thoughts on this, Brian. I, I, I think you got one more step. So I know you won't lose your place, but um, on the on the uh, cruising altitude analogy, um, in my opinion, I think that's when a lot of businesses just uh, settle in. Right. Um, They're at a comfortable place, whether they're happy doing two fifty or a million dollars, whatever it is, they've kind of reached their goal that they initially set for themselves. And as you said, they may have rent, they may have staff, they got responsibilities. So they I think they got a much lower tolerance for taking additional risk, which risk and, you know, kind of that balls to the wall attitude that you need on takeoff and ascension. If that's that kind of goes away, I think, when you're at the cruising altitude, as you put it. Yeah, I, I would 100% agree with you. And I think that's in a lot of cases where people hit that first scale hurdle. And, and you realize that the amount of effort to get here was immense. It's comfortable. 
but to get to that next level, I've, I've got to go reinvent my business again and, right. and really, you know, kind of reassess everything that I'm doing. And, and you're right. I mean, get the right systems and things in place. So if you are going to go tackle more growth that you, you can bring it on, you know, do I have enough people to do it? If depending on whatever your business is, you know, worst thing you want to do is, is be out there and have people want to buy from you and, and you have to turn them away. So yeah. It's definitely, you're right. There's definitely that, that scale wall that you hit at some point and you have to kind of make that call. Is this a lifestyle business or am I really looking to grow something substantial? Okay, cool. Um, so what's next? I think you have a, a dissension, right? It is. Dissension is kind of the, you know, when I always laugh, you, it takes you 10 minutes to get to 30,000 feet and then they announce you've, you've starting your initial descent and it's an hour, right? Um, <laughs> But that's that's a lot like businesses. When you when you've got something that you know is going to end, and you have the end in sight, whatever that is, whether it's selling it, handing it off to somebody, you know, junior, whatever it might be, at least at this play, at this pace in the flight, you have time to plan it out properly to have a nice soft landing. So um, there, we kind of work with businesses to really get that exit plan strategy in place, uh, even if it's bringing on somebody to replace you and, and kind of running that business longer term carry the legacy, you know, getting that training and, and stuff for that CEO and waiting. Um, that's kind of the analogy we use to kind of somebody fits somewhere in there. And, and how do you, you know, best use that to address, you know, tailoring something to where they're at. When, son, when should somebody be thinking about an exit strategy? <clears throat> you know, to be honest, from a coaching standpoint, you, you may not have to put the plan in, 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 you know, rapid speed, but, you know, you, you should start to kind of understand how do you want it to end, even when you're at the beginning. Um, it doesn't mean that you've got to set a 10-year limit and go, but I usually say if, if that's not where you started, we try to tell people that I would be looking five years from when you want to kind of go six. It doesn't hurt to be 10, um, but a lot changes in 10 years. So it's, you know, you can plan for everything in 10 years and then the economy can tell you different. Yeah. Right. That's so really I, interesting. I, I have a friend that uh, um, sold a business for like multi-million dollars and right after it happened, I said, man, congratulations. And I said, anything you would have done differently? He said, yeah, I would have started five years ago. I could have got even more. <laughs> exactly. I, you know, and, and I've seen cases where, you know, people will go to clean out their business to sell and then they like it so much after they've created something great for somebody else, they want to hang on to it longer, you know, and, and that's great. I mean, it's like designing the dream home to sell. And then you realize you just designed your dream home. Yeah, it's interesting because um, before we bought this boat, we we lived in our house for 28 years, and you know raised four kids. So going through that whole period, you know, it's not a lot of money. Then the kids go, and next thing you know, we're putting an addition on, we're we're at, redoing the kitchen, we're doing all this stuff, and it's like, and then we're gonna sell it. So exactly, it's like uh, you you do all this stuff. So uh, why don't why don't we try and do it earlier so we can enjoy it? I don't know if that's an appropriate analogy or not, but it seems it seems like it. Yeah. I mean, and there, there's reasonable reasons to to hop out of a business, but yeah, it's it's kind of a similar principle. Is once you start really cleaning it up to make it like attractive for someone else, you realize I'm making it attractive for myself too. Yeah. What what's the number one challenge? So um, let's just think of the last three to five clients that that you've worked with, and whether it's what they asked for or or ultimately what you decided they needed and and they agreed. What's the number one or two things that you're you're helping? these business owners do to improve their bottom line? Yeah, I, I think the first thing that kind of comes up and, and COVID's a great example of, of how this plays out, but, you know, for, for the, you know, prior to COVID from 2019, you know, even back to like 2010, I mean, the growth in the economy was, was fairly steady. 
And I think a lot of times businesses assume they're assume that they they being in a growing phase is that they're controlling the growth of their business. And the reason I say it that way is when times are really good and people are trying to spend, you're participating in a growing market and getting your fair share of that. You know, you look at all your competitors, everybody's somewhat growing. I think it's that switch and COVID kind of tricked this a little bit where it's like, oh, wow, it's, it's not going to be the same anymore. And most of these businesses only started out in this good period. And so looking at, okay, how do I really control the growth in my business? You know, and then you look at things like, you know, how do I take share from competition instead of all of us are fat, dumb, and happy as we get bigger and bigger. And then the other side is like, okay, how do I create more people interested in what I offer, uh, kind of transforming that market a little bit or interested in something that maybe they weren't buying before, but now they'll buy this as an alternative and hey, that's my market. You know, and even in some cases that winds up going to your competition. You know, making somebody aware of chiropractic care and how it helps your body doesn't mean that they're going to pick you as their chiropractor. Right. But, but more people that then prescribe to chiropractic care means your market is getting bigger overall and you can always go steal it later. Um, and then, you know, anytime you can get people to look at what other things does my, you know, businesses or skills that, that my company demonstrates, could they be in other pies, you know, little adjacencies that maybe are smaller slices, but, you know, they have the potential to grow into something a little bit bigger and you're a little bit more diversified. Have you found some, uh, I'll say some to be generous, but I'm sure it's probably all, uh, are, are completely undercharging for the value they're delivering in the marketplace? A hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I think price is the scariest word for most people because they assume if I raise price, I lose customers. Right. Um, and and you, you find that, that most of your customers probably are buying on the value in the first place and they're not shopping around because they're happy um, and they want you to be in business. And you, you got to realize you know, as you grow and, and, and things get uh, better or worse, depending on what it is, you know, keeping yourself viable is a help to your customers, especially if they value what you do. What are, what are some of the ways that you help your clients and get their prices up? Yeah, I mean, we, we kind of brainstorm, go through really that value proposition. Um, we also benchmark, uh, look at what people in a similar industry might be doing uh, to get an idea of where, where that market responds. And, and then really kind of test it out a little bit. Like, hey, we're going to go ahead and, and talk a little bit more about this as, a, as an option. You know, I, one thing for small businesses I always see is trading price for referrals. In the end, if you're getting your, your price up in some places and you're getting more business through referrals, it's not a bad way to kind of approach it. So it's, it's really making an, a, a true full-blown assessment of it because most people think if they said yes, that's the highest price I can offer. Yeah. And of course, the other thing to realize for just about any business is not all customers are created equal. I mean, you don't you don't offer one program or one package to everybody because right. somebody's going to want to buy the Jaguar and somebody's going to want to buy the Pinto. Well, I just dated myself with that reference, but you know, <laughs> somebody's going to want to buy whatever the little cheap car is today. Um, so is, is that something you deal with also, Brian? Yeah, I mean, really understanding where you want to play and what product mix works in that that space. I mean, I'd say clearly the the same same person that's selling a Jaguar probably shouldn't also be selling a Pinto unless they've got really good command of that market. But you know, like it might be if you're selling the Jaguar, what what SUV, what luxury SUV option do you have? What uh, you know touring car option do you have? Because in the end, they may be the same people but have different needs, but they're willing to pay in that value proposition category. So. How do you kind of have that right mix that allows you to capture, you know, the, 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 all the people that would be willing to consider uh, that value proposition. 
Um, I'm looking at my clock. I got about uh, four minutes to go here. Um, I think what I want to, what about, you mentioned earlier, um, scaling a business. How do you, you know, what's the, what's the best way to help somebody scale their business? Somebody who's kind of, they, they, uh, they climbed up, reached, reached ascension, they're cruising now. Now, how do you take it to the next level and beyond? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's a lot of times it's business or industry specific. I mean, it really depends, but, you know, take an, take an inventory of what has worked up to this point. Um, and where your capacities are at with everything that's that's been successful. And then looking out, like in, in a lot of cases, I mean, this is a tough, tough proposition right now, but people are like, well, I could grow if I could hire more, but I, I can't get people right now. And that, that's true. That's a that's a resource that, you know, there is a limit to it. And, and, you know, you've got to be aware of that. But, you know, what are the systems that you might be able to leverage that allow the people that you do have to be more efficient? And then maybe, you know, you're kind of starting to scale up and maybe you're not doing a full jump, but you're kind of pushing that scale wall ahead a little bit so you can keep growing and, and bring those uh, those new customers in. And then I think ultimately it's, you know, what does the organization need to look like that serves, you know, the market from the perspective of the next business you're going to be. So how do you reinvent sort of where you're at to where you're headed and, and look at how you are able to, I'd say, invest in those resources, whether it's monetarily training time, things of that nature, but really to kind of push yourself over that, that hurdle, because everybody will eventually hit that scale wall at some point. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to give you a multiple choice question and it can't be all of the above. <laughs> you pick okay. one. Um, so with mo- most of the clients you work with who you're helping to grow, to scale, you know, to, to, to ramp up their business, is it strategy or is it mindset? Is it marketing? What do you think? I think it's strategy. Um, I, I look and, and feel if you've got the right decision. I mean, the, the one thing that we all struggle with is what to say no to. And that's, I think, in a lot of cases, what strategy will really help you do is it it allocates all the resources within your organization toward a purpose or a, a goal or, or, or something of that nature. And to me, that really allows not just you as the owner, but the organization itself to see, all right, this is what we're doing. This is how we're going to do it. This is who's doing what. This is when we're going to do it. And, and you really get people aligned on a, a common path. Um, and, and that I believe opens up. I mean, you can debate that's not the, all of the above, but you can debate that everything kind of links together. So I, I don't think you could do one without the other, but that's where I would start. Good deal. Well, Brian, what a great interview. How can uh, people connect with you and, um, and learn more from you and reach out to you? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you can visit our website. It's uh, www.businessconsultingcharlotte.com. Um, feel free if you wanted to reach out to me uh, directly. It's uh, bjohnson at mainandjohnson.com. Um, you can find us on LinkedIn and Facebook. Um, if you search Maine and Johnson, I know, I think there's enough Brian Johnsons on LinkedIn that you may need my zip code here, but uh, Brian Johnson slash 28120. So uh, best ways to reach us uh, and would love conversations with business owners, even if even if it's just a chat. We, we love meeting new business owners. So Wonderful. Brian, thanks so much, man. It's great connecting with you. Yeah, I appreciate it, Jim. Love the show and uh, uh, look forward to uh, uh, doing some more conversations. Wonderful. Hey, folks, that wraps up this very special interview with Brian Johnson. He's the founder and owner of Maine and Johnson. And you can connect with me at getjimpalmer.com. That's my home base. If you're interested in the Dream Business Mastermind, that is Dream Biz Coaching, dreambizcoaching.com. But that is it for this week. Until next week, another fantastic interview. I am Captain Jim Palmer, the Dream Business Coach, and you take good care. 
Now it's time to go implement what you've learned. Great ideas are nice, but results only happen through action and implementation. So stay focused. Kick all distractions to the curb. Sleep a little less if you have to. And create your dream business now so you too can live your dream lifestyle. To learn about building your dream business, join Jim's free Dream Business Facebook community at dreambizgroup.com. That's dreambizgroup.com. See you next week for more Dream Business Radio.